Welcome to the Evolution Exchange USA podcast. We bring together the best technical leaders to talk about their industry passions and challenges that they are facing. I am Chris Hopkins from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I connect businesses with top data engineering contracting talent. And today I am your host. I'm glad to be joined today by an amazing panel to discuss a topic that should be of interest to all data professionals, which is driving a data-driven company in 2023. So before we delve deeper into this topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Alex, would you like to kick us off? Sure. Thank you, Chris, for having us. <clears throat> Alex Verdolip. So I've been nearly six years in Fox um, leading data engineering and, and most recently data infrastructure design and implementation on the Fox digital and linear teams and uh, building the new, as you're saying, 2023 frameworks and platforms for taking Fox into the data-driven world and allowing the customers around me to be enabled uh, by the new tools and frameworks that we're trying to design and implement to deliver faster insights <clears throat> and get their time to market optimization. What I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about people, problems and processes all wrapped into the, into the data. So anywhere you have a challenge, anywhere you have a design problem or architectural optimization, love rolling up the sleeves, and getting into the nitty-bitty details and trying to solve the problem and understanding the business value, which is one of the key topics that we're going to be discovering today as well. Perfect. Thanks a lot for that, Alex. Um, moving on to Karthik. Hey, thanks, Chris. Um, great. Um, I've been part of CapOne in my current role for the past two years, where I manage all the data platforms, uh, which includes WordPress, Lake, Warehouse, and other complementary patterns platforms around Catalan data ecosystem. Um, it's a pretty significant uh, organization where a lot of our analytics and our day-to-day -day data operations run on these platforms. What uh, makes me wake up and think about data, I think data has been the most emerging space over the past 20 years, and it's probably the most uh, actively growing place as well in terms of number of new technologies coming in new ways to think about data, how data can be used to drive insights, find every single nugget. Uh, so that means like as enterprises, I think we need to be very nimble on our feet. So that's a culture where we need to drive innovation, culture of uh, leaning forward, not being stuck in our ways. So it's driving those types of things for enabling our customers to be successful, I think is very passionate about what, what is in the future for data, right? So given how we have data has emerged, for the past 15, 20 years. So excited to be here. So some interesting topics to discuss. And it's good to have you, Karthik. Thank you very much. Um, and then finally over to Sarah. Hey, hey, Chris. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm currently working as the Director of Data Engineering and uh, Architecture at Hertz. I joined about less than a year back joined as the director of uh, architecture, data architecture, but then uh, most recently I am also managing the entire data engineering architecture as well as the governance area. Um, doing a lot of cool stuff here. Uh, it's, a, it's a data driven company for sure. We, we, we work with, you know, huge volume of data and of course organizing the data in the right manner, building the proper data lakes or the data mesh that we call it, uh, you know, having the proper architecture in place, uh, in place so that, you know, all our customers get a great user experience, but at the same time, uh, you know, the business, uh, the, the KPIs are met and we, we kind of improve the, both the top line and the bottom line. Uh, 
Um, in terms of passion, of course, I've been a data person all my life. Data is my passion, and I believe data is the new oil. Um, you know, we use data to solve a lot of business problems, and it's it's a fast-changing uh, technology space. So we need to quickly adapt and make sure that the business also ends up aligned to this uh, you know evolving uh, market. Um, and in terms of, I am also passionate about uh, you know automation. The, you know, fixing uh, three things in in this order: people, process, and technology. I believe this should be the right order of uh, focus of any technology leaders, and and everything boils down to data. So you you use data to you know solve a lot of problems, both as well as external. Good to be here. Awesome. Good to have you as well, Sarah. So um, thanks very much for those introductions, guys. Um, let's move on now to discuss some specific questions related to the topic of driving a data-driven company in 2023. So we'll start off with a question that Alex put forward, um, which was, what value does your data bring and how do you measure this and provide adequate support around it? So um, Alex, could you set the scene a little bit around that and then we'll sure. take things from there? And for the record, Chris, I don't have an answer to this yet. I'm still searching for the answer. <laughs> the question comes to the table. And I think <laughs> historically, what I'm learning to realize right now, this is, in my opinion, is probably one of the most um, important questions and most difficult questions to answer because um, every one of us has supported um, customers that are around us, above us, below us, and uh, you're providing the support, but the support has to be adjacent exactly based upon the value that you're defining from the data itself, right? Not every data is deemed equally valuable. <clears throat> Not every SLA can be designed in exactly the same pattern. So uh, on the personal level, even uh, ignoring the, the issues that we're dealing with Fox and the complexities, is to understand how do different data teams that are consuming data evaluate and value their data set? How they base their decisions? That helps the data leaders like ourselves to provide proper and adequate support, <clears throat> right? And then provide proper investment in building and maintaining the pipelines, building and maintaining the processes and making the investment because in cases of the media company, value is a very complicated part. Not everything can be easily wrapped into money, right? Not everything can be wrapped into cost. For example, when you're talking about your ratings or your business reputation, how do you evaluate that? How do you evaluate certain transactions that are more important for news versus entertainment or versus sports? <clears throat> and what we're trying to do right now internally is to try to start at least having these conversations with the business which previously we typically and uh, i'm pretty sure that karthik and sarov have seen this before data teams have been very very underrepresented and then we would always be a yes man type of team um business yells at you and says i need this now and i need this to be done as soon as possible and you don't even get a chance to ask why so what we're trying to change the mentality here at least by having conversation is to understand what is it that you really want and why do you want it and not only we can learn that, we can actually suggest maybe an optimization and a better way of getting that done. I know it's very abstract, but I think that is, is like an epiphany of the importance and the value that you bring to the company by understanding the value of the data that you process. Brilliant. Thanks for that. And um, yeah, um, Sarah, do you want to pick up on what Alex has mentioned there and uh, share your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a great question, Alex. Um, so I'll break it down into two parts. Uh, the first part is uh, how how to you know 
what value the data brings to the table. And the second one is uh, in an organization, how we really want to, uh, you know, build, uh, you know, support in, in terms of measuring, uh, you know, the business success. Uh, so the first part as a, as a data team or as a technology leader, I believe is having the business uh, really uh, should be on board to the idea. So without taking names of my current uh, specifics, what exactly I'm doing or in my previous uh, organization, but I can give you a blueprint that we can use to achieve this. Um, so any kind of expenses or revenue or any kind of uh, anything to do with amount should be tagged to a particular account. So it, it, let's let's say in, in in case of Fox example, whether you are you know spending money on advertisements or you are getting revenue out of some viewership or you having some contracts with different various companies etc. At a very high level, at, at a, it should be top down. So at a top level, we need to have these various accounts in place and like kind of an account hierarchy. And and from there we need to start tagging to uh, you know the the different data sets that's across the organization. Uh, to to facilitate that, we need to have uh, uh, an enterprise data platform for sure. Uh, technology could be anything. Um, the architecture could be anything. It could be a data mesh or a data lake or whatever it is. But but the point is to really know about the data. And so the metadata, uh, as we can say in our technical world, is something which is very important. And then instead of trying to boil the entire ocean, we need to have sponsors or partners within the organization. So you are right, and it, it often happens that the business where people would take the shots, will call the shots, and the data team would be kind of supporting supporting them. And though I have a great idea about having the perfect data lake, for example, but then it might it cannot be a big bang. It has to be agile in the sense. So we need to have build something small. You show it to one uh, section of your company, uh, which is which could be which is like the most critical, for example, or which has the, the most amount of money or uh, political capital, and then try to solve their problem. Again, tagging to this uh, account hierarchy structure that I mentioned. And then once we have a satisfied customer or a, or a group or a business user, then we try to scale it forward. So I believe uh, at a very high level, uh, that's that's my thought about how data can bring in value. Uh, and then we can- Sorry, thank you, but the question, have you, have you been successful in achieving that on a small to medium scale? Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and uh, I've been passionate about data like since last almost 20 years uh, and off plate also with, with the scale of the, the data that we are getting in, uh, you know, we have solved a lot of critical business problems uh, and uh, defining the KPI, defining the expectation of the business users, having that, keeping that in mind while solving the problem, giving a custom design or a custom architecture is is is, is something we should look forward to. Oh, over to, to Karthik, well, what are your thoughts on this two-pronged question? Yeah, I think my approach, uh, I, I, and it's a little bit different, right? So I, I believe Data has got a life and it lives and breathes uh, through its life through the organization. Um, so the value of the data is essential, core essential, like uh, if you're talking about ratings or even financial institutes about what our customers are doing or how we're, how are we managing money, how regulators are looking at it. Everything is, is some level of thought put into the data value creation. So the, uh, uh, the emergence of data, like I was saying about 15 years to 20 years now, when we started with warehouses to what we call as lake houses to AI-driven culture, data has always been the lifeline to do it. So initially we used to say data by itself was very static. We needed something to create information out of it. Now data has itself become such a huge part of our intelligence now that you have to manage it like a living, breathing 
thing within our ecosystem. A uh, lot of like the even the now new emerging technologies like data mesh or uh, data products, what may be the case, it's really trying to contain the whole centralization, decentralization aspect. And my perspective on centralization and decentralization is a ongoing technology basis, right? So you uh, tend cost seems overrun and then you start centralizing, then your innovation slows down, you start decentralizing. But it's really about how do you make data itself as a living, breathing thing with the organization where it's just critical to the organization. I agree with what Alex was saying that data probably was not the first treatment table, but coming from the company where data has always been the DNA, we see as the day data being the DNA to almost all, all things which we uh, do strategically. So if you make that part of your DNA, I think it is really going to drive a lot of as well, including um, there's a lot of discussions about data duplication, historical data, what value it brings and whatnot. If I go talk to a data scientist, the first thing they're going to tell you is historical data is where they drive the nuggets because that's where they learn. Then they can experiment with some predictive modeling to uh, non-predictive modeling, which it's really, it really comes down to that. I think it's really going back to the drawing board about uh, how do we create the aspect that data has got life and we need to feed it continuously for it to grow along with us as an organization. Okay, thanks, Karthik. You kind of, <clears throat> both yourself and Sarah have kind of touched on um, data meshes and centralization versus decentralization. So another question that Alex put forward was centered on this, and it was a case of friend or foe. So um, yeah. which side of the fence would you be leaning towards and, and why would that be? Karthik, sorry. Um, yeah, so sure. For me, it's it's um, fair, really about where we are starting with data and, uh, journey. Um, I believe the startup ecosystem has to bring in these uh, not start so that companies can start thinking about it differently, right? If uh, not, the startups don't come up with, uh, let's say, data mesh or data products or uh, lake houses, what, what might be the case, uh, you are strategy is like whatever your business wants to do and stuff like that. From my personal uh, experiences, I think it's for us to understand what our business needs and where we are in mature curve to be in centralized or decentralized aspect. If we chase, if we let our external systems like startups to uh, deal with how we back the tail, I think we'll be chasing a lot of these things without a concrete plan to make data as part of our ecosystem. Right, so I think it's very important to uh, understand that even if you look at the use cases, for most of the customers, they're very specific point in time use cases. They're not a eco ecosystem strategic, at least in the initial part of the Hive curve. So some companies can get into the initial part of Hive curve, and that could be a friend for them. And some companies have to wait until the later part of the Hive curve for them to adopt to these technologies. Right? It really comes down to the balance of where they are in the data life cycle to adopt to these things. Uh, so it's important to understand your strategy extensively well before you jump into these bandwagons. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Okay, thanks, Karthik. And um, Sarah, what, what are your thoughts on um, what uh, Karthik's picked up on there or, or data meshes in, in general? Uh, absolutely, and I echo Karthik's uh, thought. Uh, it's it's uh, you, you need to adapt based on the kind of organization you, and the kind of uh, problem you're trying to solve. 
data mesh is definitely a very decentralized approach and uh, in a way cartex uh, you know view is right in the sense that when to uh, fast track automation uh, you adapt one and then when things slow down then you try to decentralize so it's an it's a cyclic process it will keep on continue uh, for a financial institution like uh, the Karthik is working on, it's definitely, you have regulatory challenges, you have GDPR and all those kinds of challenges, you have various stakeholders. So it gets very difficult to have a centralized kind of a data lake that would solve the entire organization problem. But at the same time, if you have a fast paced startup or a data driven product kind of a company, uh, you can quickly, you know, you can focus towards having a centralized enterprise data store kind of a data lake. So data mesh is more of a, an approach. Uh, one technical aspect I would like to add is, uh, to make even a data mesh or a data lake successful, uh, you know, two things you really need to solve. Num number one is to have to build solid catalog. You need to understand what kind of data is there in, in, in your data landscape. And the second one is to really define the data stewards. So in data mesh, you have that flexibility because different departments can kind of own their own data. And then that's what becomes that in, uh, essence behind a data mesh. Uh, but it, even in a centralized kind of a data a lake or an enterprise data store, it is very important to have well-defined data governance program. You need to define the data stewards who would be kind of owning the data and the technology team would be enabling uh, you know that thing for the organization. So data mesh is definitely a boom, I would say. It's 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 a it's a it's 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 good to have, but then you need to have the right strategy. And one last flavor I want to add is uh, in practical sense, when you really implement these technologies, you need to have some sort of a data lake built first and then try to solve the, you know, implement a data mesh because some of the aspects of, you know, access control or, 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 or build, you know, building, building, you know, spinning up the, you know, the clusters or the instances, et cetera, to have a process in place. You need to build some sort of a small data lake, I would say, even if you're going towards the data mesh route and then make that as a, as a organization standard so that the data mesh really becomes successful. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Sarov. And then, um, as I said a moment ago, Alex, this was one of the, the topics you put forward around data mesh friend or foe. So, what would be um, your stance on this? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm happy hearing what Karthik and Zorov have to say because it makes me hopeful that <laughs> uh, my ideas about the data mesh are not that unique and that uh, abstract because data mesh for me is nothing other than an idea. It is not a blueprint that every company can just run, execute, and then you know gain success with that. And a lot of people in the marketplace are actually abusing this word probably too much, just like many other boom type of words have been used and technologies in the past. Data mesh is a mindset, and if you don't know what you need to solve, you don't need data mesh because you, you you're not in the right place to fixing the problem. So you need to understand what you're trying to solve because data and data mesh is not a new concept. It's I mean the hub and spoke and pub and sub and all these models have been before us many times over. It's just a new cool name that gives you this little, like a, like a network mesh topology view. And <clears throat> even currently trying to evaluate and implement that based upon the different use cases, we start seeing challenges. So data mesh should be, I think, rebranded to some degree. Maybe we can have a session with Jamar and talk about this on the, on the scale of the, of the creation where data mesh should be flexible. I call data mesh within my domain and what I like, um, and the more and more I think about this, the more I, I like this idea, I call this controlled freedom. And in my view, control freedom is um, giving Chris, someone like you, let's say a defined uh, structure, a sandbox, a playground with well-defined high-level guard controls. But then within that, you are free to do whichever way you want to do it, however you want to do it. So you can use the skill set, you can use the tool, you can use your speed, you can use the define because why? You're driving that specific business interest, right? You are representing the business angle. You know the best what business needs, 
we supporting you, giving you this system of enablement as much as possible and allowing you to go fast and allowing you to go far. The problem is that the business data, and I don't know, maybe I, maybe um, Saurav and Karthik can share their thoughts. Um, often data teams are far away from business. And I think that's one of the big problems because they don't know exactly the what you do and why you do it and how things get done. And I'm hearing this from the developers left and right. Oh, we implemented this new pipe. Oh, we have no idea what's the use of that. We have no idea what the business value drives, right? And the more you know about this, <clears throat> the more you can suggest how to build an optimized data model that serves multiple purposes, not just specific use case. Or in some cases, it can be a very specific pipe built specifically for a given business. We are discovering right now items that we're calling internally the business domains. And we are now using a function called builder domain. And the builder domain within a data mesh structure is the team that is data producer and consumer at the same time using the centralized data discovery layer, centralized data governance layer, but then they have the freedom to operate within their domain. And that helps this mentality that we're trying to instill, helps us seeing business from a different angle. And I think then, Forget about the technology. Technology is the means to an end. You need to understand your flow. You need to understand your support function. You need to understand your uptime and market deliverables and the skill set that you have within given domain teams. Then, only then, I think you can go on the market and build your own modern data stack. Again, another very abused term on, on these days, uh, but only with the tools that you absolutely need to have without going too crazy. So that, that's what we're thinking, that my, my thoughts on the whole Centralization, decentralization. Cool. Well, I'm glad we've given you a platform to get that external validation. It's always nice to hear, isn't it? <laughs> um, brilliant. And Sarah, um, uh, looping back to yourself, um, you wanted to contribute again? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I like one term. Uh, what uh, Alex mentioned is uh, control freedom. And I I use the term, uh, you know, uh, structured autonomy. Like you give a structure first, and then there is autonomy, right? So of course, uh, you, you have a, to build a data mesh. You need to have some sort of a structure going on, and and then the team will have the flexibility for data streaming. Whether you want to use a PubSub model, whether you want a Kafka or Kinesis or whatever it is, leave it to the team. Let them do it. But that structure is really important. And the second important aspect, what Alex, you absolutely understood correctly, is. Uh, you know, business calling the shots. They are the data stewards. They know what problems to solve. And at a very, at a very early stage, we need to collaborate with them to build those business cases that we are trying to solve. Have a partner in place real quick. It has to move in an agile fashion. Uh, one, one happy customer will open the can of worms. Then the entire organization will come start asking for their data for data to solve problems. So I think you got it right, and this is absolutely a great uh, validation, revalidation. Cool. Brilliant. Um, any more thoughts on that on that particular topic, or, or should we move on and uh, deal with the next question at hand, guys? Oh, okay. So thanks for sharing your thoughts around that, those topics so far. So, Karthik, the next uh, question came from from your side. It's quite apt given recent uh, technology developments. So you were asking what steps can be taken to enable AI and ML as a key driver to the overall data strategy. So. As ever, could you just kind of give us some context to why you put that question forward, and then we'll take the conversation from there. Um, prior to Capricorn, this was my job, right? So my job was to go help uh, organizations to uh, drive AI ML strategy as a key driver to our overall data strategy. So it was really about how do you put intelligence into your core business activities 
uh, in a way that it makes sense for you. Uh, it was on a foundation where uh, there was a key concept in the industry called hybrid transaction analytical platforms, right? Where there was the old operational and analytical data stores together to drive some of these uh, capabilities. Um, and it, it was really about how do you, uh, and, and there are use cases which are very, even um, in a haystack uses use cases where machine learning uses extensively, right? People are building pipelines, they're very well versed about it. They've been using it for a long time and it's not new to them. It's, it's all the other use cases which could take advantage of machine learning. And uh, there are many companies today where they talk about data ops, the ML ops, all about operations on the backbone of uh, CICD pipelines and data pipelines and what could be as enabling automation and stuff like that. But very seldom focused on how do we make AI ML as part of a culture which you can take advantage of bringing machine learning uh, as a way to, to solve business problems. Um, so the, I think there, there, are, there are method to the madness on how do you do it, right? So you then have a data strategy which is built from the core about what are the key enablers, or where is your operational data, where is your analytical data, how do you streamline it? Uh, and then you do out, need to add apps to it because you don't want to create a rogue environment, right? You do need to have that structured uh, piece in place to what uh, Saurav was talking about. So all of that put into place, I think, is is very very critical. So each organization, I was always I'm always curious to know what steps do you take to enable this uh, end to end across all your business lines to make this available to every single one of your resources from business to uh, engineers, so they are all working together as one team uh, game. Thanks for that. Good good question, um, Sarah. What would be your your thoughts on that? It's a, it's a great question, and uh, of course, artificial intelligence is kind of the future. That's what we hear all the time. So, for any organization, it's very important to have that uh, kickstart and head start, and you know, to make sure that we at least invest something in the space. Um, you know, to really enable um, you know any kind of AI-driven uh, data strategy, I believe um, uh, the first approach is uh, what. Uh, the, the way Karthik is thinking is correct that it's not just about some some automation here and there, but actually solving some problems f from a human standpoint. What human does in a repetitive basis, can we have a process that would kind of simply automate that, and you know the, you know the you know the algorithm can take care of it. So the very first step is again at a high level to identify you know a, a specific. If I can take a name without name, taking name of any company, but something similar that I've done is, let's say, the anti-money laundering space, Karthik, and very well refer to that in banking space. That's a, that's a, that's a big issue. If, if you see 90% of the work there is kind of repetitive, if there is if there is any faulty transactions happening, then there would be analysts who would be going in and trying to uh, check, see the case and then try to see whether the transaction is faulty or not. So how AI can step in and solve this problem? So again, the first step is to going back and collecting the data. It's very important to collect the data, and the data should be as diverse as possible. And then, based on the organized, you know, the specific use case strategy, whether you want to go towards a supervised model or an unsupervised model or a reinforcement model, the data is very important. And you split that data across two parts. One is how you would train the model, and how would you will test the model. Uh, so, first, and, and and giving measurable output in the terms of how much time cost and, and accuracy, uh, time and cost uh, savings and the accuracy achieved to solve this business problem. 
and then to going back to the historical data, getting that data, train the model, and then test the model and see whether uh, what human was doing, your algorithm is whether how accurate it is and how quickly it is trying to solve the problem. So and the, and then it can be expanded across the organization. Now this is a business use case. There could be a technical use case also. And we have to keep on identifying as leaders what all repetitive work we do. Okay, if, if a technology team is writing a pipeline, you know, ETL team is writing pipelines and doing the same step uh, again and again, how AI can solve that problem. First step is to collect the metadata and then to have a metadata-driven ETL approach. And once that is also achieved, then how can business define, uh, you know, you know, data pipelines and automatically your AI algorithm will go and update your metadata and, and behind the scene, your uh, uh, ingestion pipelines are getting triggered and solving the problem. Similarly, the DQM problem can be solved through, uh, you know, AI, the data quality management framework. So there are a lot of great use cases. As data leaders, we can solve using AI. Uh, the first step is to recognize that this is the future and we really need to start investing in this. Awesome. Thanks for that, Sarif. Uh, moving on, Alex, uh, what would be your thoughts on, on this topic? Uh, I love what I'm hearing from guys. And I think for me, data science is very not precision-based type of um, science, even though there's a science in the world because there's a lot of uh, experimentation that you need to go through, just like you're doing this in the medical field or in a real science field. It's not always a predictable outcome and result. And I think once the company adopting this mindset and they're giving the data scientists the freedom to collaborate, the freedom to build the models and the freedom to participate in business problems, they can actually define some really interesting models and really interesting inputs that can optimize the work. But I want to hone in a little bit more on what Sarah said, because um, there's an old joke you can put 100 best data scientists on a pile of crappy data and the outcome will be a pile of crappy data, right? They will simply not fix the data. They can put all the brilliancy, they can put all the machinery, they can put all the learnings, but their outcome will be horrible. So the data contracts, which I'm hearing right now more and more on the, on the marketplace, and essentially, which is a handshake between the producer and the consumer, I think it's something really interesting to hone in maybe in the future sessions as well, but you need to make sure you have trust. You gotta trust the data. If you don't trust the data, there is no predictable outcome that you can possibly trust. And that is the number one, in my opinion, one of the num number one opinions, because even before a data scientist builds a model, they do analysis, they do evaluation, and then the, using the proper data set can give them a degree of confidence if they will be able to successfully do so. But then even equally, if not more important, is ability to go back and reanalyze the outcome. What's the point of building a model that you don't measure the outcome, you don't evaluate the outcome, see if it's in that positive, that neutral, and that negative example, to be able to retrain the model, to be able to readjust the components and the variables of the model, so then you can achieve better results. Because successful data model within the data science, I think it's like a never-ending process. It's always evolving, it's always training. It can be self-taught, self-trained, or with a human interaction, but you have to have this mindset in place where you can't just rely upon building a model and letting it go in the production and then it will work 100% all the time. Things evolve, things change. <clears throat> and I think, uh, especially within my domain, what I'm trying to, to, to do is to separate data engineering and data science team and it's like two separate components so they can actually help each other and not be foes within, within the, the team structure and letting them be the best at what they can do. So then the engineers can focus on the best quality data, the best pipelines, the best timing and SLA deliverable, so the data scientists can actually do this experimentation and this, this discovery part. I think this is where creativity must thrive and the leaders have to enable that creativity for data science because they're all passionate people. 
they all really passionate people. Once you get into data science, you, you're getting in that for a reason. You want <clears throat> a data to solve a problem. You want it to address a real life solution. And that I think once you harvest that and you create that very thriving environment, you'll be surprised what your team can, can bring to you. Thanks, Alex. Um, Karthik, um, you know, um, have a listen to Zarab and Alex share their thoughts on, on this topic. Is there um, anything you want to particularly pick up on that they've shared or um, add to, to the conversation? I think everybody is in the, uh, almost in a similar stage, right, where like data contract to Alex's point is a very important discussion which is going on from how do you how do we trust the data we're coming in, data quality comes into play. Uh, this also takes the, the whole aspect of data has got a life, right? So there is that maturity which we have to do, deal with and because the data is always changing, how do we deal with it? I think there is the whole ecosystem around it, uh, especially looking ahead in 2023, I think it's really that cusp of how do we lean forward based on all the great work the industry has done so far to get us here uh, to the point data mesh is at our friend or foe or AI being part of our lives so much. Uh, these are all the uh, forces in action. Uh, it used to be cloud, digital transformation, data transformation about four or five years ago. Now I think that's changed. The forces in action has changed. Our job description doesn't, right? So I think we still are responsible to deliver the same business value uh, day in and day out. So it's really about tying these things together. Uh, how do we do that effectively as, as things change? Great. Thanks. Thanks, Karthik. Probably a, a good uh, summary to, to end that particular conversation and move on to the next. So um, the following question was put forward from Sarav. Um, so you were asking um, how to build an enterprise data platform that would solve business-related problems. So um, over to to yourself and we'll take things from that. Sure, Chris. And I think, Chris, you have done a great job in, you know, arranging the questions in an order. This is the right time for this question to come in, uh, you know, right after the AI discussion. So uh, as we just heard, right, uh, AI model will work as good as the quality of data we get. If you get faulty data, the model will won't perform uh, correctly. So, and as what Alex also mentioned, that the data engineering team and the data science team should work in collaboration to make sure both of them are kind of partners to achieve the goal. So they, into, my question about building the, the perfect enterprise data platform, which would be like the one-stop shop of the data of my entire organization, so that even let's say the data science can, I can, uh, you know, uh, the data science team can consume data and then build their own models. Similarly, business people can also, you know, uh, consume the data to solve their business problems. So how to build a perfect enterprise uh, data platform, or, or we can call it like a data lake or a, or a data mesh, which would solve these problems, keeping in mind that it's a huge, we are talking about big com Fortune 500 companies where every uh, team or every department has their own set of uh, operational uh, systems. Uh, you know, the data sources are so different. There are data quality issues. The same data has been called or recognized in various formats. And, uh, and of course, we cannot have like a big bank project. We have to keep on making progress. So what should be the right strategy at a high level from an organization perspective to build a successful enterprise data platform? Cool. Um, Karthik, uh, obviously you work on the enterprise data platform side over at, at Capital One. Do you want to kind of pick up the conversation from there? Yeah, I think uh, uh, I'm probably going to be broken record when I keep saying that we need to continuously lean forward. Uh, the reason why I, I say that's a broken record is what I've learned 
is our customers are not static, right? Uh, the rules and regulations are not static. There are way too many dynamic forces for us to think about how do we, uh, I think that dynamics of decentralized organization being a single place data warehouse or enterprise data warehouse or enterprise data lake or changing uh, how we are approaching these new problem domains as we speak. Um, I referred to HDAP early on, right? The whole need for having operational slash uh, data analytics together, working together to enable some real-time business justification. That's changing the paradigm. Um, there are few things in the ecosystem right now I think is changing the paradigm, including the customer demographics of who is using the data. I think in the past, there were traditional business users using it. I think the dynamics of who the business is also changing. Uh, in, uh, I've seen that. I think that shift is started about four or five years ago, and then that shift is even prominent now about how data is getting consumed by leaders in the organization. That, I think, forces the data leaders to start thinking about what enterprise platforms need to do to enable our, our changing dynamics. So I think each organization is going to have different changing dynamics. Uh, the competition is very different for each domain. Uh, each competition is trying to find that edge on how they keep the customers together. And uh, I'll keep being the broken record to say data is my DNA, so that's my life. So I need to make sure it's working through these platforms I built. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And um, Alex, over to yourself. Not a simple problem to solve, I guess. That's, that's <laughs> what we're talking about, right? Um, <clears throat> re repeating a little bit from what I said earlier, you cannot have a single platform that fits all use cases and business points. This probably worked. 10, 15 years ago to a degree, but then the, the reason why it changed because it started cracking. And the data teams, the analysts, the engineers in the singularity structure, they're always going to be blamed. Like I have re I've received a thousand times more complaints and screams versus uh, kudos and great jobs because we were late or we were not enough or we were not fast enough or the quality, like whatever the thousand different reasons why. So to do so, you need to give the power of successful delivery and support structure in the hands of this quote-unquote uh, data domains or builder domains, right? And, to, and and in order to do that properly, going back to the, the notion of the control freedom, I think that's the best possible thing I have thought of so far. I mean, looking at everything around me is to give them these frameworks, <clears throat> giving them proper adequate support so they can learn how to fish instead of you fishing for them all the time. And I think that changes the narrative. When you, when I come to Chris and I say, Chris, um, you have to make sure there's 150 reports migrated successfully from system A to system B. And then Chris is saying, okay, Alex, that's great. Um, you have to pay me X amount of money for each and every report. I will come back to you and say, Chris, you know what? It's not 150, it's probably like 30, maybe 25. Because the moment you pin it back on me, it changes the opinion because no longer I can use you for free indefinitely. Now I have to pay the money. Now I have to do some work. So when you flip that ownership and this decision-making on the, on the business, they learn what is more important and what isn't more important. Then they start developing the skill set within the teams that they actually need to thrive and succeed. They're having business units that have no people speaking SQL or Python. Typical business system analysts that will say, give me the data in Excel format and I'll do the analysis. Great. How about you actually learn some SQL? I'll give you the access. We ensuring that data observability and data validation are in par. You can trust the data. And then you move your needle yourself. And you'll be surprised to see how much this invigorates people and then it like opens them up and they're like oh my god now i can do x y and z i think it's normal typical evolution but 
that is the only way to succeed because you will never be fast enough for the business if you're trying to have control in one place. By having this controlled distributed model and properly training and having these educational moments and support with your business and, uh, and, and points, I think that's the only way, in my opinion, you can build a really good, successful enterprise market. Makes sense. Thanks very much for that. Um, Sarah, uh, any more thoughts before we uh, probably move on and deal with the final question for today? Uh, yeah, I mean, great, great inputs. And uh, yeah, I totally echo uh, to both what uh, Karthik and Alex mentioned. Uh, it's, it's an evolution. We cannot solve the problem in one day. We have to keep on adapting and innovating. And the structured autonomy or this controlled freedom is uh, something we really need to think about, giving structures and then uh, you know, experimenting and doing different stuff, which, which would be kind of driven from the business side more in collaboration with the data and the technology team. So, yeah, that's I, I believe that's the perfect solution towards building a great enterprise data platform. Yep, perfect. Okay, so um, as I mentioned, we'll move on to the final topic for today. Again, this was put forward by Sarav. Um, you were asking the question, it's quite a broad question to be fair, but we'll try and uh, narrow in on, on a, uh, a discussion. So how to build high performance data teams. So again, um, do you want to give some context to why you put that forward? Yeah, and this has a relation to the previous question in the sense, uh, and again, it's it's about building, uh, you know, the perfect data platform for the organization. Uh, and when we talk about this, when we talk about building data teams, uh, there are various skill sets. You have data scientists, what Alexis uh, was talking about. You have the data architects, you have the data engineers, you have the data analysts, um, so many different, uh, you know, skill sets, and everybody is having you know, competing, uh, you know, targets in their career path. And I would also add, like to add like a couple of other dimensions. One dimension is definitely the domain people. They are key pillars of the data team. We also have the governance and security people who would keep the governance rules in place. So having all these disciplines, all these pillars of, uh, of a particular data team working together and the leaders obviously would have some sort of biases based on their past and background. And then you add the flavor of this entire business value that we are trying to create with this entire team. What should be the right strategy and the mix and the order of uh, to build a high performance uh, data team? Lots of variables at hand, um, as you've highlighted there, Sarah. So Alex, well, what would be your thoughts? Very near and dear to my heart problem because I chose the path to be the leader and that I like the word leader better than manager or boss a thousand times over because um, I don't want to manage people or bossing them around. I want to be in par with my team, rolling up the sleeves as much as I can, as long as I don't cause any more damage that I, that I should, and then leading them forward <laughs> through, the, through the problems. Um, you need to hire people the way that they're hiring you. And I think if you think about this, I think it may, it may hopefully it's going to make sense to you guys because a typical hiring process and the whole HR industry has not changed in over a hundred years, unfortunately. You can have a whole bunch of new applications, you can some new processes, but the way that we're doing performance ratings, with the way we're doing annual performance reviews, and the way we're hiring people has still been very, very traditional. People coming to you, they have you know stress, and then you hiring them, not the other way around. I like doing it both ways. I like to make sure that the person that I bring to the team is actually hiring me or my team the way that we're hiring them. That opens them up. That gives them the sense of comfort, gives them the sense of belonging. You have to explain why 
are you, Alex, here? And why are you still here? And why do you do what you do? Because that gives them the sense of purpose. Because they're not coming here just for the money, right? I mean, it, it's very important, but they actually come here to create something, to do something, to have fun and collaborate. Um, I'm trying to evaluate the team members are coming in the team in a such way that the titles uh, within the collaboration floor should not matter. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone should be able to participate. And I think once you're creating this very um, supportive function and structure, and then you finding what makes your employees happy, and you amplify that little that little button, you pressing that button, that every one of us have differences of what makes you happy. For Chris, it can be spending time with kids, and for Sarah, it can be actually going and watching movies on Thursday night and having a beer with people. It doesn't matter what this is. That becomes an investment into your people. And typically, so far, hasn't failed in over 12 years, leading people for me, you're getting a many times over reward and, and payback from the team. They love being um, feeling safe. They love being supported. They love being people can make mistakes. You need to find a way to treat them in the best possible way where you become their sponsor. And their success is their individual success. But their failure is actually your failure. You have to lean that forward and take that from them so they know that you got their back. And once you establishing this little ecosystem where everybody feels as much as possible, there are exceptions, of course, they feel safe and, and secure, you'll be surprised how many great things you can achieve and how many collaborations and how many ideas can come to the surface because that's what creates this thriving and you have to find a way, which is never easy. And I know that we're looking at, you know, VPs and directors here as well. How do you keep this up? How do you make sure that people still feel valuable, right? And then time over time over time, you're building these long lasting relationships with them that actually give you a pretty good ROI. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think um, that mentality that the individual is hiring you and your team and your environment and your projects and um, everything that comes with it is is a great way to to be looking at it. Um, and hopefully the, end, the byproduct of that is you get, you know, the, the right pegs in the right holes and people feel like they belong and, uh, and ultimately contribute more and stay longer and everybody is happier and wins. That's, uh, exactly. um, and, and Chris, yeah. this is a super simple thing to do, right? I mm. mean, it, it takes a long time to implement that, but the mentality of approaching that, it should mm. be in, in the training courses of anyone who wants to be a people's leader because people's leaders are not born, they made, and that should be part of your DNA, why you want to lead people. Yeah. Um, Perfect. Um, Karthik, your thoughts on uh, this topic? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably bring in a different perspective to the conversation. I, I do agree on a couple of things which Alex talked about. Uh, but if I use the sports analogy for a bit, right? So you, you build high-performing sports teams to deliver on certain goals. Uh, there is a culture attached to it. There is a process attached to it. There is a strategy attached to it. How do you attack uh, the particular things? How do you build strategies to tap different conditions to go win the game. Uh, so there is the whole aspect of attached to it. Right? So even if you are a star player, you're not going to be successful without your team's help uh, playing their roles effectively to, to make the team as a whole successful. Uh, and there is an aspect of there is the uh, you do have to be able to let go of your star players at times because they just don't fit into that culture, fit into the strategy uh, at times. They, they could be your highest performers at the end of the day, you, you really have to make the best choices in terms of performing high-performing team, right? So high-performing teams is, the team is the key aspect, underlying aspect to that conversation. Uh, they have to work into that, build into that culture, believe in the culture, 
believe in what you're trying to do, bring their A game every single time they get onto the floor. They need to be able to practice on their own to get their A game together. Uh, so there's a whole aspect of what drives a high-performing team. It's the innovation, it is the practice, it is the repeatedness, it is learning from the failures, it's standing up after the failures, and, and so on and so forth. And of course, the whole aspect of you, I have your back, you have my back, you, we all in this together is it's a key part of the culture of any high-performing things, right? So they are all doing the right things all the time. So I, I typically have that sports analogy building to it. And, and it's, the second one is skills, right? So you cannot bring uh, the square flag ground hole conversation always comes in. So there is a skill aspect to it as well. No, no matter how skilled you are in a certain field, the other field might be something which you have to start new. Uh, I use the analogy to say, leave the baggage at the door. When you come into the team, come fresh, fresh, fresh mind that you're going to do a lot of unlearning and relearn what you want to do. If you're not able to relearn, reinvent yourself, I think you just carry on a lot of experience, which may be detrimental to what you do uh, to the current high-performing team. So I think that's the balance which you need to strike and conversations with our goals, objectives, and how you set up the OKRs to get them to get where they need to get to. Thank you. Some really yeah, interesting points there. Thanks, Karthik. Um, Saraf, um, anything that you would like to surmise or, or add to, to what's been said already? No, no, great, great inputs by both Alex and Karthik and uh, two different dimensions of uh, thoughts, which is very good. Definitely from Alex, you need to be as a leader, you need to have empathy. You need to understand that at the end of the day, your team member is a human and both, both uh, you know, you need to support and, you know, guide uh, in the process. And Karthi's perspective is definitely absolutely correct that we need to have a high performance team. And in sports analogy, there could be 100 great players, but then there is a space for only 10 good players or 10 best players rather. Uh, so the culture is absolutely important. And the way I think is, uh, you know, the first, the first, uh, thought process that I bring to the table is that, first of all, there is no hierarchy. Uh, again, if we think about controlled autonomy uh, structure, let's say I'm a director, I'm giving some sort of a structure and uh, then the team members have their freedom to innovate, to perform, to do a great job. And we are one team just because I'm, you know, at a, uh, you know, a senior position, I'm having few other set of roles and responsibilities. End of the day, we are all a team. And similarly, my boss is having some extra or some different kind of roles and responsibilities, but end of the day, we are just one team. Uh, and the second part is uh, while hiring, I feel the three E's are very important. Experience, expertise, and the third one is the most important, that's enthusiasm. You, you can have a lot of experience, you can have a lot of great expertise in the subject matter, but then you need to be enthusiastic to adapt to the new culture. What uh, Karthik mentioned about learning, unlearning, it's absolutely important. I might have a great uh, experience with a lot of baggage, but if I'm not enthusiastic in my new company, understanding this new culture and then trying to adapt and, and then be a part of this great team is something, then I won't be doing a great job. So yeah, so so great thoughts, great inputs. Thanks for the revalidation. Brilliant, thanks, Arif. Um Excellent, well, I think that's probably a, a great place to leave the discussion for today. So um, before we end the podcast, um, I'm always keen to get um, a key takeaway or two from um, my guests. So um, Alex, what would be um, some takeaways or a key takeaway that you've taken from the uh, conversation I'm not, today? I'm not, I'm not alone in thinking the way I think, so, which is great. That's, that's a really good <laughs> Some folks in the industry and leaders are thinking the similar way, um, which, which is great and refreshing. Um, number two, I think what is uh, picking, picking sort of 
I think there's uh, more discussions and more thinking to be held in regards to how to approach building an ecosystem, right? How to get the value, because I like his, his thoughts and his ideas on deriving the value from the business units and deriving the value from the data itself and how to support that function. And of course, I agree with the, the idea of building lean and small as much as you can, as, as, as long as you can, and then fail fast, dust yourself off, readjust, repivot, and then focus on, on that small agility part. Uh, on Karthik's side, appreciate the insights on the high-performing team because I think that, that, there's, that there's a whole debate philosophical to be made about firing your greatest uh, ass within the team, right? Why do you need to let go of some people within the team that may not um, improve your team? Otherwise, they can actually damage the team. So I think that's another interesting angle to to approach how to build the teams um, in a in a cohesive sport type of fashion, right? That they all come together as a, as a one. Yeah, I think that um, having a clearly defined strategy and, and sticking to your guns around that and then also having a clearly clearly defined culture and also sticking to your guns around that. If you've got those two pillars um, and you stay stay true to those, then hopefully those decisions become a bit more um, a bit more transparent. Um, brilliant. Yeah. Looping back to looping back to Sarah, um, a key takeaway or, or multiple takeaways from yourself? Um, the first takeaway absolutely is this great collaboration and thanks uh, Chris for doing this uh, you know connecting with great industry leaders and to you know hearing their thoughts as well uh, you know that, that that's at a high level uh, but of course uh, after that I, I feel that uh, this, uh, some of the inputs have been really great especially from leadership standpoint you know how how to how to build a team and how to you know uh, work with the team uh, be it from empathy uh, standpoint or from high performance standpoint and, and the third piece is uh, uh, you know to uh, having this echo around me and revalidating my thought process in the sense how data can truly drive uh, businesses not just 2023 as per the, the topic of, of the day but uh, going forward in many years and decades going forward so we are building you know collaboration between the business and the technology is, is, is so important. Uh, we often forget, we get lost in, in having the, the best structure, the best design, the best architecture, the best code, or technology, et cetera. But, but again, it's all about business and how quickly you're solving business problems. So those are the some of the good takeaways. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and uh, last but by no means least, uh, Karthik, uh, some takeaways on your side. For me, I think the problems which is listed here seems like it's very universal, right? So high performance teams in a very tough labor market, uh, the challenges of hiring the right kind of talent or the strategies around how, how do we bring value from the data, uh, enabling AI. It's not that companies are not doing it, but it's really about the scale and ease of doing it as where um, seems like most of the industry is now getting to that maturity curve. So uh, the key takeaways are really around some of the things which is happening, either be it uh, the contract in place or how we think about enterprise data platforms and stuff like that. I think it's, a, it's an emerging topic. Um, so there are a lot to learn uh, and, and great conversation to take some industries uh, stalwart brains on what, what they're doing in the organization. So thanks. Awesome. Thanks for, for sharing and we'll, we'll leave it there for today. So um, this has been the Evolution Exchange USA podcast. I would like to take this opportunity to thank again Alex, Sarav and Karthik uh, for sharing their insights and thoughts today. Um, a really good discussion.
Um, we hope you can join us next time on the Evolution Exchange podcast. Um, if you are hiring for data engineers or looking for a, a new opportunity, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you do know anybody who would like to be featured on, featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. Um, my name is Chris Hopkins. And you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at chris.hopkins at evolutionjobs.us um, or visit us at www.evolutionjobs.us. Thanks again to all my guests and thank you for listening.